0: Welcome to the Veervana Podcast. This is the social distancing edition. Hi, Jeff. (laughs) Hey, Patrick. Uh, We join you not from the X-Ray Studios uh, and not together. We are in our own homes uh, recording this podcast very crudely using Zoom, like most of the world. We're on Zoom. Right. (laughs) Uh, And uh, we're going to do our best to make it uh, uh, audible. Player, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We're not even sure if the recording's working. So, uh, fingers crossed that this is going to be a podcast. If so, uh, with me as always is Jeff Allworth, author of the Beer Bible, Cider Made Simple, Seekers of the Master Brewers, and the Widmer Way.
1: And with me is Patrick Emerson. Uh, not with me, but across town is Patrick Emerson, a professor of economics, at Oregon State University. Um, I think
0: it. I think in this day and age of social distancing, this is this is with. With each other as much as we can be with each other.
1: That's right. We are looking at each other. Uh, yeah, we do the, have the the, we have the video technology. On. Yeah, <laughs> we have the video on, <laughs> uh, and we're kind of kicking it old school. So the, the production quality will be uh, reminiscent of the early days when our salad right. years.
0: Yeah, this is like nostalgia. Yeah, nostalgic podcasting. <laughs> Everybody Although loved the, those. Only, the only time we ever done it remotely was when you we were in England doing yeah. the research for the new beer bible. Yeah.
1: Update. And that worked, so we'll see. Maybe this will
0: work as well. It worked. It was weird being in the studio without you. At least I can see you now.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, so we have um, an interesting uh, podcast here today. We, the last podcast that we posted, which was a, we posted uh, a week ago on um, uh, the 20, uh, the 18th, I think, was one that we had recorded when the pandemic was getting going at the glassware podcast. It was getting going, but it hadn't right. really gotten going yet. And uh, the, we were a little cavalier. I don't know if you listened to that, but um, based on how fast things had advanced, I bet. I bet. Uh, we were like, well, this thing could be bad, but you know, it's not so bad now. We talked about the weather and lovely things like that. So we're in a yeah. very different environment now.
0: Yeah. It's unbelievable how quickly things change. In fact, I can, I still remember distinctly, uh, a week, uh, let's see, two weeks ago when sort of everything was falling apart. I think it was a Thursday, uh, sitting around and I was just getting email after email after email of things getting canceled. My son's, all my son's soccer season was canceled and training was canceled. And at first it was canceled for a couple of days and then suddenly it all fell apart. So, uh, that was, um, I think, the 12th of March. I was sitting working at home. In fact, I was expecting to go down to Oregon State the next day for a big meeting, and that got canceled. And in fact, I had to run down last yesterday to grab materials for the class uh, for spring quarter, which I'm going to deliver via Zoom, because there's no on-campus classes in the spring. Right. And we've all gone to remote learning. So yeah, so things changed very quickly. We are now, we are in the state of Oregon. So we are now, uh, they're not calling it a uh, shelter in place. It's a little bit shelter in place light, I suppose. It's stay home, stay, no, stay home, stay safe. Stay home, save lives. That's it. Huh. That's what that's what the governor's calling it. Uh, yeah. But yeah. We're supposed to stay home, only do essential travel. That's right. Travel for academic purposes is okay. So my trip to Oregon State was officially uh, kosher as far as I'm aware.
1: But mostly you're able to shelter uh, there in southeast
0: Portland. Yeah, we're lucky. We're in a nice neighborhood that's uh, got a lot of access to open space. Got a park a block away and got a wildlife preserve just down below the park. and um, uh, We can go to the river and things like that. So we can actually, we've been getting out a lot Walking the dog and being outside, uh, trying very hard to maintain six feet. Um, actually, people are very good today. Specific, particularly, people have been much on my little jog. Everyone's very careful, avoiding, mm. avoiding getting too close to each other. And so, uh, so yeah, so here we are. Uh, I know that you and readers of your blog will know that you have been keeping up with some local brewers and sort of tracking the the events um, as they. Uh, as they occurred, I was going to say almost in real time, but it, you have these diaries of brewers, and, and they go through it sort of day by day, or a couple of days by a couple of days, and as things have changed for them, um, it's fascinating reading. So I will point uh, readers to your blog, but we can talk about that today.
1: Yeah, uh, I would. And I, we should definitely talk about that. We should also talk. Maybe you're an economist, so maybe we can talk a little bit about the larger uh, context. Uh, the For the economy, and you can tell us a little bit about what you expect there. You're an informed voice, so I'm sure people of that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: well, uh, that's actually changed too because it looks like we have a deal now, uh, and uh, that'll help a lot. Um, It's pretty big, and it's it uh, it got held up a bit, but I think that that's for the better. Um, uh, Yeah,
1: and. There was some consternation about how it got held up, but it, it got held up by maybe 48 hours, depending on what your expectations are. And for Congress, that is lightning speed. So I actually find the complaints that it was held up to be, uh, not they're fairly toothless and ahistorical. Um, the way yeah. the Senate works, um, they could have taken, just to go through normal procedure, it would have taken weeks just to get through a, a normal piece of legislation would to speak at something that's like two trillion dollars so uh, I actually give them a huge amount of credit how, how quickly they were able to move
0: through that yeah um, I think that's I think that's right yeah two, tri- two trillion dollars difference. is ten percent of GDP this is a massive bill and <laughs> and you know there's a little bit of, uh, of positioning it um, uh, at, at, uh, during the negotiations but I think for the most part yeah yeah um, Uh, they did what was right and uh, that'll help
1: yeah yeah
0: so but we can get back to the economic stuff uh in a bit um i just speaking of running i got back uh before we got on from my run and since we're sitting here and we're going to be talking about beer i'm actually going to have a beer ah Um, (laughs) what do you got i got i got a beer too oh you're showing it to me you've got a little beast made in west
1: I have, um, yeah, sorry. I don't have the, the label there. In West
0: IPA from little beast.
1: This beer is actually a beer that was delivered to me. So I thought it would be appropriate to talk about, uh,
0: what math. local brewers are doing. Yeah. 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 So that'll be fun. And, and I'll show you mine. Mine is this legal house pills. Ah, uh, yeah. Your Whoa, background. <laughs> I get my background. I, Hold I it have in front under your body. I have this pseudo background.
1: There you go. Nice. And did I, don't you know why, I don't know why I
0: have the pseudo background on because there's nothing behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: you fun. have uh, Zoigle Pills, which um, comes from Alan Taylor's Zoigle House, which is one of the diaries that I have. So we added, One of the I,
0: diaries you had. That's one of the yeah. reasons I picked it. And I don't know if Alan's going to find this kosher or not. But since I got back from my run, I'm going to create my own little uh, Rattler because I have some lemonade here. I'm not going to have his legal pills and lemonade. <laughs> we don't have, we don't, we're both pouring, but we don't have uh, Edwina. I know.
1: I'm trying to get my, my mic down in Can you hear that? I don't want to dig too deep or I'll plunge my mic into the beer.
0: I suspect Alan would be okay with my making a rattler out of his pills.
1: Oh, absolutely. He, he actually blew my mind uh, by saying that it was okay to put uh, syrups in. His incredibly impressive Berliner Weisse. So I think I think he's a, a cultural realist. And, uh, <laughs> if it, if it's done in Germany, it's okay.
0: The first time I had a, a Berliner Weisse was uh, with him at Pints at the old Pints.
1: Yeah, Pintz. absolutely.
0: And yeah, and he and he had uh, I think maybe a raspberry syrup, but he also had the woodruff syrup, which he at the time described as uh, the marshmallow flavor from Lucky Charms. Right it was a perfect description and (laughs) that's forever cemented in my mind. hmm. Right. Cheers, Jeff. Right. Cheers, cheers, Patrick.
1: Uh, I'll go like this. (laughs) Our audio, (laughs)
0: our
1: our audio quality is as good as ever. (laughs) Oh boy. We have low production values. Yeah. So, um, One of the fascinating things about human beings is they're incredibly adaptable and so are markets. And shortly, so that this thing, the half-life of this pandemic has been really fast. And as you talk to people, they'll describe, uh, you know, they'll lay out the timeline for things. And then they'll stop and say, you can tell what they're thinking like. Last week or two weeks ago, in their mind, it feels like it's been that long, and they'll they'll stop and say, "Oh, that was like two days ago <laughs> that this yeah. thing happened." Um, so um, very quickly, brewers figured out how to. Uh, here in Portland, it's legal, or in Oregon, it's uh, it's legal to do home deliveries, and I'm not really sure what laws uh, you know allow that, and and how they vary compared in in other states, but. Um, it mainly was a technological issue. People had to figure out a way to uh, have the e-commerce piece plugged in so that people could order online. Yeah, um, and one of the very first was Little Beast, uh, which is the beer that I have and bought. Um, and I've been encouraging everybody: if you have an opportunity to buy directly from brewery, whether it's pickup, uh, sometimes you will have reserve things and they'll do curbside. A lot of breweries are doing curbside stuff where they disinfect it and leave it out there on the curb and you don't see a human and uh, you know you can pick it right up. Yep. Um, or delivery. And the reason that's so valuable is because uh, if it goes to a grocery store, the brewery is, separ- is, is uh, sharing that profit with the distributor and the retailer. So they're getting a right. third the amount of money. But if you buy it directly from the brewery, uh, you're going to give them all of the money. They'll go straight to that brewery, which given the volumes are really sliding, uh, it's probably the difference between life and death for some of these, especially little breweries that are not in grocery stores or really dependent on taproom sales.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, so, it was uh, interesting it. to see uh, our our friend, a uh, good friend of the pod, uh, Reverend Nat, mm-hmm. uh, set up very quickly a website where he sold not only his own Reverend Nat cider, but also, uh, he partnered with Old Town Brewing to sell their beer. Right. He's been driving around delivering both uh, and uh, chronicling his, <laughs> his adventures.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I, I actually was texting with him. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. Um, <laughs> Nat, you can, uh, you can yell at me later if I am. But um, he said, uh, you know, I, I, I'm setting this up. And if I can get five deliveries a day, I figure it'll justify Having it on there, and this was the first day. And he said, and "I have eleven orders now, so that's pretty good. Maybe you know, uh, <laughs> maybe I can keep it going if I can get ahead a little bit early on before it dies off." And the opposite happened. He got he had a lot of interest, and now he's uh, he's making tons of deliveries every day, and it's um, it's actually really helping his bottom line. So yeah,
0: according to his um, to his Twitter <laughs> that I saw, mm-hmm. uh, he's actually got three. Three people, himself and two others, now making deliveries. That There's been so many orders.
1: Right. And that's a great thing to be able to, you know, if, if people want work, and I know not everybody feels safe coming in, but some people want to be out working. And uh, this is now is keeping a couple more people employed. So that's also great.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that's good. I don't, yeah, as you say, I'm not sure how much that's translatable to other parts of the U.S., but it's a pretty nice feature in Oregon uh, that they can do that yeah <clears throat> the other thing that is true with our our kind of shelter in place light is that uh, places as you say can still do to go orders so places that do food can still if they want do food although I've kind of understand that that's really slowed down uh, as well uh, so uh, there are ways that people can still try and, and get revenue from their kitchens and their brewers
1: and it does seem like that That is certainly possible in many places in the country, and it seems like that's been fairly broadly embraced. Have you done any takeout yet?
0: I have. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, uh, Tell us about
0: that. Well, uh, I live in a neighborhood with a bunch of local establishments, and so early on I was trying to um, uh, help out my locals. Uh, Unfortunately, a few of them have shut down now. Uh, I don't think the volume was enough to justify the staff, which is too mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as I said, I had to go down to Corvallis yesterday. So I uh, uh, did take out from a, uh, a local place down there um, when I was, but it's generally uh, pretty easy. A lot of places have gone touchless, which is nice. Um, so for example, you can just do like Apple Pay. Or you mm-hmm. can pay for it, pay for it um, via the web ahead of time. And yeah, they'll just have it waiting for you. So uh, if you're if you're very concerned, then you can really avoid contact at all, Um, and then just take the take the food home. And I understand from uh, uh, what I've read about uh, these things. The CDC is they're not they're not too concerned about uh, prepared meals in terms of transmission. So that's good.
1: Yeah, Uh, it occurs to me since we're speaking of delivery that I should. Uh, say if you live in Oregon, uh, anywhere in Oregon, uh, there may be a brewery that's delivering nearby you. And if you go to my blog, com, I'm keeping an active list of the breweries that are making deliveries there. So, uh, you can go there. You, you it's just, there's a link at the top of the the front splash page. So you don't have to dig around. Um, and that way you can go find your local, the local brewery nearest to you and uh, support them. So if you're not in Oregon, um, you're going to have to dig around somewhere else, but uh, yeah. here, here, you can, here you can do it there. And if you're listening on X-Ray FM, uh, that might be helpful for you. There are a number of Portland places doing it.
0: Yeah, and I actually intend to do that soon once my uh, supply runs low. I also have uh, – I feel very loyal to, to the, uh, the owner of the local – my little sort of corner store bodega, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean uh, that's the thing. You, you want to try to keep all these businesses in going so yeah
0: so yeah i'm trying to spread my money around keep it local and keep yeah. it moving yeah uh, that's the you know that's a big part of the economics right now is that money's just not not circulating and um that's going to be bad so every little every little bit helps
1: yeah my wife uh whom we've had on the podcast uh who owns a cannabis business um has been gaming all this out as i know many companies have been and one of the the really big things was, even if it was possible to purchase uh, whatever good you're selling, it wasn't so clear that people were going to have the money to do it uh, with all these layoffs that are about to happen, or beginning yeah. to happen.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but it but it looks like maybe the federal legislation will really help keep money in people's pockets uh, so they could be tided over. And as an economist, uh, what will the what will the effect of that be versus not having that? Like what what were we looking at? Um, uh, with all these layoffs, this cast it seemed like a death spiral was about to happen. Um, so, what, what's the situation here economically?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll talk in broad terms because I don't have the figures in front of me right now, and they're changing every day anyway. Right, but initial unemployment claims have gone through the roof, and might, and we're all, almost certainly set uh, shatter a record um, uh, for the for the nation. Um, so that's the first thing. So people are getting laid off immediately. And will we,
1: will we see those figures at the end of the month?
0: Uh, yeah, actually they'll start coming out soon as long as the Trump administration doesn't try to (laughs) play, uh, play politics with them. Um, uh, You know, we'll we'll get data on national unemployment claims. They go through the states. So that's one of the deals is that it's an aggregate uh, number that they collect from the states. And so whether the feds are going to publish that or not, but you can kind of get a sense by what the states are putting out. I mean, Oregon for sure has, um, it's been bonkers. Uh, So anyway, so the very first, the very first effect, well, I guess the very first effect is that just demand has cratered. um, And so that's forcing, uh, these, you know, restaurants, breweries, all these, you know, hotels, all these businesses that are no longer able to sort of conduct business during this period, have had to lay off all these workers. And so that means both personal harm and hardship for them, uh, for the workers themselves, but also uh, means that all of that income isn't being generated and spent somewhere else. So uh, that's sort of like the first, the first level effect. The second level effect is then all these businesses that are no longer able to bring in custom uh, can't uh, pay their bills. Um, and so they're not ordering from suppliers. And therefore, the suppliers are not ordering from the producers and, and on and on and on. So these effects become sort of start to cascade and become very big very quickly. Uh, so what you might think is, oh, yeah, these are just little restaurants and it's just a few Wait staff here and there, and hotels. But you know that the, the effects really sort of start to ripple very, very deeply. Um, and so, you know, the most immediate concern is, is shoring up uh, the ability to people to sort of make make meet their minimum basic needs, but also shore up the economy because if things get let's let's say best case scenario, things in a couple months, months are back to something uh, close to normal. Uh, if all of a sudden all of these businesses have died in the interim, then it's, it's sort of costly and slow to rebuild those businesses. So it's much more cost effective to try to keep them afloat now. Um, And so, and so the legislation, as much as it allows small businesses to get bridge loans and uh, covers unemployment uh, insurance claims uh, will help a lot uh, and hopefully will not only sort of help us get through this period, but probably more importantly, will help uh, make sure that we can recover very quickly uh, afterwards.
1: You're not an epidemiologist, so I will not uh, ask you to pre- <laughs> but predict.
0: I, but I've, I've read a lot <laughs> of newspapers lately. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it's really impossible to know how to game this out if it stops, uh, you know, if we get back to something like normalcy in, in May versus July. But Um, what effect will you have all these people who get laid off you have all these companies that are not in you know not uh, selling products right now what percentage of them will never come back like what what kind of lingering uh, effect could it have versus just snapping right back
0: Uh, yeah well that's the million dollar question (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I asked the good ones yeah. yeah I don't know. Uh, so the, the, what things that I'm, I'll tell you in, instead of answering directly, cause I just can't. Right. What I'll do is I'll sort of take you through the stuff that I'm kind of, kind of keeping track of. Excellent. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what I'm, uh, interested in seeing is how many companies are able to, uh, by shedding sort of their quick variable costs, which is mostly labor often. Um, how many of them are have reserves to uh, to weather the storm, and how many with these small business loans and grants that, that might be available are able to sort of stick it out. It'll also depend probably on landlords. I mean, I think this is a situation where hopefully everybody will take a bit of a haircut because it's a lot cheaper to do that um, now, meaning, you know, you take a portion of a rent rather than demanding all of the rent or your lease payment, uh, knowing that in a month or two, uh, you'll be back to normal rather than just sort of having a vacant space that you'll have to try and lease. I think it would be a lot more sensible to to work with your tenants uh, now. And so the question is, you know, uh, how how long they'll have to survive because a lot of businesses might be able to survive a month, but two months is getting really hard and three months might be impossible, right? So the timing is really uh, critical and how much support they get in the interim is is really critical. So I was very encouraged by this the Senate bill, um, assuming it all gets passed and signed and and enacted that it provides a pretty healthy dose of help, um, both to employees, but also to businesses themselves. Uh, it's going to be very difficult if a lot of these businesses actually go under to, uh, to see the kind of, um, quick economic recovery, uh, than if we can somehow keep them, keep them afloat in the interim.
1: Yeah. uh we don't. Most lay people don't understand numbers, and so if if Congress had passed a five hundred billion dollar bill versus a two trillion dollar bill, we don't actually understand what those mean. Um, <clears throat> do you think the bill is adequate? Like as an economist, what would you have pegged it at? And do you think the mix of uh, support directly to, to workers versus companies is good? And-
0: well, I mean, uh, I'm a little less. Uh, concerned about um, corporations, although I do know that there are some that are pretty vital to the economy and to and to society, like airlines um, right. that are taking a big hit. So I don't begrudge that. I actually think it's a pretty decent bill. Honestly, mm. um, I think it's pretty good. I think, do you it's think adic- the
1: amount is good.
0: I think that's adequate for now. Mm. I think if we're talking about in another month, I would uh, quite. Um, uh, I was going to say quite likely I was misspeaking. Uh, I would support yet another two trillion dollar bill. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean uh, to put it in context, you know, two trillion dollars is ten percent of GDP. But during the, uh, uh, I posted this on a on my one of my rare tweets <laughs> during oh, World wow. War II. I mean that. Nineteen forty-two to nineteen forty-five, we ran uh, deficits uh, of. Um, 20, uh, well, on average, over 20% of GDP for four years straight. Mm. So that was the, and then we, you know, we had this massive 20-year boom after the war. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Not immediately, but, you know, we went through this great post-war expansion in the economy. So uh, if people get squeamish about $2 trillion, I would say that, you know, we can definitely handle it and we can handle even much more. Um, especially given the economy that we had before and the economy that hope we hope to have after, I think it would be, uh, you know, uh, penny wise but pound foolish or something, <laughs> uh, to uh, to try to skimp now. Uh, and um, I think you know, uh, people have used the term stimulus, but it's really not a stimulus bill at all. Really, what it is is just trying to uh, 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 maintain some semblance of what we got Try to sort of a disaster relief bill, really. Um, and the extent to which we can stop people from, you know, losing their homes and losing their businesses. And uh, that'll help a lot in terms of the recovery. And I think we will see a much, much stronger recovery if, if, if we spend now. So I think it's good for now. We'll see how the next few weeks unfold in terms of the virus. Right, and then if it still if it looks like we're still going to be fighting it for a while, I would hope that they would go back and do it again, honestly.
1: So the economy has been uh, growing and and uh, uh, been healthy for over a decade. Uh, so this comes at a really weird time. Do you think uh, you know it looked like we were kind of slowing down before this happened? Do you, as an economist, will this have some kind of different effect than uh, the normal thing, or will we kind of bounce right back to where we were, assuming like a, a medium case
0: scenario? Gosh, it's hard to know. I would like to think that that we'll have a, a, a very robust recovery, um, as, as dramatic a drop as we saw. Um, there's no reason that we couldn't have a very quick recovery if, if we're able to keep, like I said, people in their homes and businesses afloat. Um, then getting back to normal, business could pick up fairly quickly, not overnight. Um, you know, it takes a while to sort of generate that level of consumer spending and, and uh, money circulating through the economy. But there's going to be a lot of pent up demand too um, when this is mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I'll probably need a haircut. <laughs> 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 I know it's a I know it's a silly example, but it is a it's a it's a real example. There's a lot of things you're not going to do in the next couple of months uh, that you might that you're going to have to sort of catch up on afterward. Um, and so, you know, all that suggests that we could have a, a, pretty robust recovery, but I think it all, the, the key is what we do in the interim. And so that's why this bill is, uh, is so big. So I don't see, I think, uh, I don't see any reason why in a year from now, we couldn't be back to where pretty much where we were before the virus hit.
1: No, mm, that, well, that that's really good news. I had not heard uh, people look past the crisis so much so that's actually really helpful. heartening
0: yeah so and now I'm going to put a big caveat which is yeah. <laughs> uh, which is I'm sort of thinking in terms of the US economy of course we're very interlinked with economies around the world and um, it could get really bad in other parts of the world uh, and some um, it's going to sound callous I don't really mean to be callous but there are parts of the world that are more or less important to the US economy just in terms of the relationships we have mm-hmm. Sure, so you know Western Europe is a big a big uh, a big trade partner of ours, and to the extent to which Western Europe is really gonna suffer um, and how quickly they can bounce back it's it's not clear, but I would just say that the Western European governments so far have seemed to be even more aggressive in terms of uh providing support to local businesses, but that of course is gonna hurt uh all of these um, uh all of the spending that I'm cavalier about saying, ah, you know, $4 trillion isn't, isn't a big deal. It's a big deal <laughs> in the sense that, you know, all of these, you know, our state governments and our federal government are going are to be impacted heavily. Uh, and that's going to have all these ripple effects, um, which are going to be difficult too. And so uh, to the extent to which other countries are able to manage and, um, uh, uh, and manage the recovery as well, um, that will help. Uh, I do think that, that you know, the, the, the worry that I have is exactly the kind of things like all the things that state governments do and pay for, um, they're going to be in, um, uh, in bad shape when this is over, uh, for sure.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting thing. Um, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this, but most states have a no deficit spending policy, uh, which, right. you know, are artifacts of, uh, uh, conservative politicians, um, Wanting to put the brakes on spending, but it means that in moments like this, uh, if your uh, <laughs> if your uh, tax base collapses, which probably is happening, um, then you're you're you have to cut spending because you can't run the deficit. So we talk about the national economy a lot, but how do you think this is going to affect state economies? And yeah, can yeah. they? Can they bounce I mean, there
0: back? are a number of there are a number of states that do actually have rainy day funds. Oregon's not one of them. Uh, so that will help, but I don't think that there's any way in which, um, uh, any state is going to, is going to come out of this. Well, actually I'll rephrase there could be states, uh, you say I'm not an epidemiologist, but, um, I feel like I'm an amateur epidemiologist because I read so much about this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. We all kind of feel that way. the, The virus is clearly extremely, um, uh, um, What's the, I don't, I can't speak like an epidemiologist, but uh, it's very clustered. Right. And so um,
1: it's hitting New York a lot worse it, than it's hitting Oregon.
0: Yeah. And so there are, and so I imagine that there'll be states with very different experiences actually to this virus. There might be states that actually have a very mild outbreak because they've been able to uh, avoid a major cluster. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, we're seeing
1: that actually in uh, uh, Kentucky and Tennessee, neighboring states, uh, people have really use them as two examples because they have similar outbreaks but the governors would behave very differently and i think it's uh kentucky Bashir state is um doing way way better because he's really clamped down Mm -hmm. uh and and so yeah that's that's interesting policy matters right so yeah Yeah. carry on
0: well it's interesting right because this is something that people are talking about in oregon that that the governor is trying to strike a balance between public health and business and not being too draconian and uh which I think you know is an appropriate discussion to have, but uh, uh, this national discussion about whether to restart the economy sooner and suffer the public health consequences it's you know it's a little bit of a, a false dichotomy because the extent to which you're able to limit the damage of the virus now is probably going to uh, mean that you're able to preserve a more healthy economy uh, uh, in the next you know four or five quarters so <clears throat> So I think that states that manage this well uh, will do a lot. And, and, you know, Oregon, it's still too, hard, too, too early to know because we're doing so little testing. But um, so far, uh, uh, it ha- we haven't had a major cluster here. And so to the extent to which the current um, stay-at-home orders will help that was, was just going to help not only the, the fiscal situation in the state, but will help the state economy as a whole. Mm. Um, so what I uh, what I will say is there's going to be a bunch of states that are hurting. I think actually some states might end up getting out of this without um, uh, too much fiscal pain, but there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of rebuilding uh, to do with um, government uh, uh, coffers, right? And so that's going to be um, uh, sort of austerity measures in terms of all kinds of government services, public safety, and education, and uh, um, social services and the like, and so that's that's a bit of a worry, and that could um, could delay the recovery. But you know, we'll see. Mm. Yeah,
1: it's scary times, and it's funny how uh, adaptable human beings are. <clears throat> we have going through this so quickly. I I, I I recall my own reaction both to the consequences from the the, the, the virus itself and also the economic consequences. And, and being in a place where the, a worst-case scenario two weeks ago um, is a best-case scenario now, and two mm. weeks ago that seemed like uh, an unthinkable thing, and now it feels like, well, we can make it through that. I mean, the body, um, you know, the mind really adapts itself to the circumstances, so we're, we're, we're moving through this and trying to figure out how bad it's going to be. It's interesting uh, how re- resilient we are in some ways. It's kind of heartening to see.
0: Yeah, it's funny, you know, you think about the going through this in the age of social media and streaming services and all that. You're like, "Oh, come on. It's not that bad now. Uh, it would be a lot worse uh, when we were kids.
1: That's right. So I have a pandemic story. You want to hear a cool pandemic story I have, which you will relate oh. to?
0: Oh, cool pandemic story. Yeah, you won't you want hear that phrase much. Go ahead.
1: That, that's right. <laughs> uh, I was in India uh, during a plague outbreak in right. 1994, the fall of 1994. Um, and it was a serious outbreak. This is the bubonic plague. It got started in uh, Gujarat, uh, and it progressed very much like the pandemic we're seeing now. There were a couple of uh, you know, isolated cases in uh, Gujarat, and uh, everyone thought, well you know, it'll be isolated there. This is really dangerous, but whatever. It'll be fine. And then it started spreading pretty fast because humans move, just exactly what we've seen now, and it started cropping up in other places. And before long, um, the rest of the world had shut down any flight coming out of India. Uh, And for about a month, um, we were just stuck there. So I was uh, doing a fellowship uh, in grad school there, um, and uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, people were It's the same thing. Very few people on the streets. Those who were on the streets were wearing masks. Um, and uh, you know, the bubonic plague is far more deadly uh, than the uh, coronavirus. It's actually quite treatable, but in India, it was not treatable because there was, it was the system was getting overwhelmed. So people were dying from a treatable disease. How
0: how is it communicated?
1: I think it's communicated the same way. I think it's. Uh, I, I think it's airborne.
0: Oh.
1: Um, yeah. It's a, it's a fairly communicable disease. It's, 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 it's bad. The reason it's so deadly is because it has that, that, that horrible combination of um, pretty high communicability, but also high mortality. Um, yeah. Typically, the more, the more deadly a, a disease is, the less communicable it is. But the plague is pretty bad. Um, but anyway, uh, it was really creepy. And uh, this is the second one I've seen in my lifetime. Um, so I, I I think these things are, are going to become more and more common.
0: Yes, yeah, I think that's that's for sure. Which is why it's so appalling that our government was so unprepared. <clears throat> yeah, willful willfully so it seems, which is uh, disappointing.
1: Well, we should say I, I would like to say that uh, we often say sweeping statements like that. There are many parts of the government that that were prepared and uh, knew what to do, but um, that, that, that system has been frayed in the current administration. And so uh, it was disconnected and there were a lot of, a lot of problems, but a lot of the, uh, you know, work a day bureaucrats in CDC and other places are doing great work. Oh yeah. So that's let's not throw point. them out with the bathwater.
0: That's a, That's a good point. Um, so we should get back to beer. <laughs> yeah. 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 Speaking of beer, how's the, I've not had the little beast IPA.
1: I had never had an IPA from Little Beast. Um, in fact, uh, so Little Beast in Portland, Oregon here is one of our very finest breweries. Uh, at some point in the next month, I'm going to get out my top 10 breweries of Portland. And Little Beast will be on that list. Um, they're a really good brewery. But they mostly make wild ales. Right. Uh, Charles Porter and uh, his wife, Brenda Crow. he's the brewer. Uh, they, they own the company together um they they do these wonderful he's uh one of these guys who has a real he's a yeast whisperer and he (laughs) can put yeast and bacteria into into beer and make them sing beautiful harmonies um he does he does great work with uh low acid wild ales that are very vinous and sophisticated and complex but also very approachable really just delightful beers kind of beer that it it would be hard for me to imagining disliking so that's what he's famous for but um like everybody else it's portland Oregon, so he has to make an
0: ipa IPA.
1: (laughs) (laughs) and i've uh, you know i've seen that he's he's been releasing ipas from time to time and i've completely ignored them because you know i'm gonna drink a little bit someone drink something else but um here we are trapped in our houses and uh i was happy to get both the uh ipa i also got a cool um porter he made, strong porter uh, like a Baltic porter slash stout dark ale, strong dark ale that um, is made with chocolate and chili peppers. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was interested to see how he would do th- with that. So then I got that and then I did of course get a few of his bottle as barrel aged stuff as well. Um, and, but I wasn't actually expecting much out of the IPA. I gotta tell you usually people who are really focused on a certain thing uh uh, not necessarily so good at other stuff, you know, <laughs> there's a brewer in town. I will not name, I will not say his name because I, I don't want to uh, slag him unnecessarily. Um, who makes spectacular lagers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, when he tries to make English ales, which are, you know, pretty darn easy to make, like you and I make pretty good English ales. They're not actually that hard. Single infusion mm-hmm. mash. Like let's do this thing. Basic stuff. He is not very good. <laughs> make spectacular loggers, um, but you know it's hard. It's hard to make things from another tradition. You start thinking in a particular way, so it's very uh, difficult. Uh,
0: yeah, but I, I know of, of whom you, you speak. I'll just say that last time that I had a beer from that brewery, I'm not sure. I can't say it's the brewer. Uh, yeah, don't
1: say it. Don't say the brewery's name.
0: They had and I'm not, but they had a the, uh, 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 what I felt was a pretty decent. Beer. Show.
1: that go brewery on. will also be on my top 10 list
0: yeah so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so just saying that old dogs maybe they can learn new tricks you know? yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. absolutely it's possible but um tr- national tradition is an important uh thing to learn and if you actually learn it well you can go much more deeply into a uh, uh, making a beer style and make it much better
0: yeah but then sometimes
1: you get down in that well and it's hard to get back out of that well and Let's see what another, there's a well over there. You got to get down in that well.
0: Yeah, it is hard. I mean, because you, you know, your palate's trained, your instincts are trained, all the stuff is trained in a certain way. And then, yeah, just making one off here and there can be difficult, right? Yeah. All the nuance is lost, perhaps.
1: So getting back to Little Beast's uh, Maiden West IPA, (laughs) it's a a super cool beer. Uh, It's unusual in that it is a, a juicy old school IPA. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's got a citrus pine profile. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, I, I'm guessing it's going to gonna have like Cascade Centennial Chinook sort of hopping. I don't know what it's got in there, but it's like those kind of hops. Right. So it, it's got a classic uh, old school profile, but it's not very bitter and it's quite juicy. So you smell it and it's, you think it's going to be
0: one of those you know, old face melting yeah, hop bomb. I mean, uh, ID bomb.
1: Exactly. And then you taste it, and it's uh, citrusy. Tiny bit of pine, less pine than citrus on on the palate, uh-huh. uh, but very juicy. So full, sweet flavors. Uh, you know, a lot of late edition uh, use of these hops, mm-hmm. um, and then it finishes uh, w- without that. Old school pop in the nose bitterness that that right. comes out. It finishes with a nice soft kiss, and it's, um, it's really good. It's a standard yeast? beer. Yeah, yeah. Just it's a standard IPA. I mean, it's yeah. it's there's nothing uh, nothing unusual about it except that it's a it's an old school new school thing, and and you don't usually see this. Like if you're gonna go for the the uh, citrus pine thing, you usually go for pretty good bitterness and. You know, old, an old school thing. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really digging this. It's, it's cool. nice. Yeah, it's really good. So, <laughs> good
0: job, Charles. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. Um, uh, right now, the governor's order in Oregon is indefinite. The she's ordered schools closed until April twenty eighth or something like that. Yeah. So I'm not sure what what brewers were thinking in terms of when they'll be able to 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 reopen. Uh, and then and then the big question, the, the million dollar question is what's gonna happen to to tap room and group up sales. Oh it's
1: yeah, it's so catastrophic. It's it's amazing because, you know, a month ago, if you were selling beer at the grocery if your if your business model was based on selling beer at a grocery store. Uh, it was a sucker's deal. You know, we were like, oh man, you got to get in the tap room. That's where all the money is. Like you can sell beer at a premium and you get all that money, no narrow margins. Like that's the way to really do it. And, and now, uh, if you're depending on tap room sales, uh, if you've got a brew pub, um, where you depend on, uh, draft sales along with, uh, food sales, you're dead in the water. You're not, your, your business is, is done uh you're out of business
0: yeah um, your draft is, draft has gone from 100 to zero just yeah. almost overnight it's yeah amazing. and
1: breweries like if you if you want to buy a keg from a, a pub right now if you have the capacity to put a keg on you can get a great deal from a, a brewery because they're <laughs> sitting they're sitting on massive amounts of this draft beer that's just going to sit there and they you know they will be happy to sell you a keg because it's it's going nowhere and uh one one thing that when I was talking to the breweries for my diaries, the, the thing they said was we immediately shifted. Like we had this normal package mix of certain amount to draft certain amount, you know, to cans and bottles. And then we immediately turned on a dime. It's like nothing to draft. We just, we're taking that off. Maybe we'll put one beer in a tank so uh, it's ready to go. Um, you know, we'll get a lager ready and it's ready to go. We can have that in the tank um, so we can have some draft beer, but basically we, you know, we got to get stuff into package because that's the only way people can buy it now.
0: Yeah. So one of the things I'll say that was really interesting um, uh, from your diaries was this, you know, there's this tension. Obviously, these are small business people. Their whole livelihoods depend on their business. They're supporting a bunch of other people and their families with their business. And so they're desperate to to see uh, business return. But there was also this really strong uh, humanitarian thread uh, throughout uh, these diaries that understood the, um, the situation we're in and the hardships that people would face if they were exposed to this virus and caught the disease. And so um, I, 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 I found that really interesting, and really um, both heartening and a bit heart-wrenching, right? Because um, you're seeing sort of this personal devastation of your, of your business and your employees you have to lay off at the same time, you're trying to have this compassion and empathy um, for you know society as a whole or humanity, uh, which was which was heartening. But it's going to be uh, it's going to be that the, the other side of this virus is going to be a very tricky negotiation. Uh, how soon do you do you allow uh, things to get back to, to normal, and how will people react after they've been told to to be so extreme and avoid? communication of this virus, how are they going to react to going back to the public sphere? Um,
1: yeah, it's, it, that's a really interesting question. Um, to go back to your, I have some thoughts on that, but to go back to your first point, it is. it was so interesting to hear these breweries talk about uh, the the incredibly difficult choice they had. On the one hand, you could uh, say to a, uh, one of your employees, stay at home, uh, you'll be safe. But then, um, and you know, you can go on unemployment. But then you get a much smaller paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, I can keep employing you, but you may get coronavirus. Like as a as an employer, as the boss, trying to make that decision of putting your workers in jeopardy in in physical jeopardy yeah. versus uh, making sure that they were uh, financially whole. It's a. I mean, it's just it's painful. One of the uh, brewers that I spoke to kind of. Off to the side, not necessarily off the record, but he didn't. He didn't put this in his his own thing. He said, "I was literally crying when I was laying people off. I didn't know what to do." Yeah, um, it's very, very challenging uh, position to be put in. Um, these are breweries that did not make bad decisions. You know, they're they were not running bad bad operations. They just got caught by some weird quirk, and and here they are. Um, yeah, the. the but the other question is so fascinating to me, I was talking to some, somebody else today uh, about this, and you can imagine that people who are no longer you know, spending a lot of time in pubs think, ah, what do I need to go to the pub for? Um, I've learned to live without the pub. On the other hand, you could imagine the opposite, that having been kept out of the pubs for a couple of months, people will be dying to get back into the pubs. And I, this is one of those unknown unknowns, like who, who can possibly guess how that'll be?
0: Yeah, yeah, I know it's it's going to be interesting because you know I think there's going to be this real big pent up demand, but there's also I think going to be a bit of trepidation. Um, uh, I I have a sense, speaking entirely as a, <laughs> as a novice observer of humanity, that you know we're su- we're such social creatures that I think there's just going to be um, not not only we're we social creatures, but at least in, in, in Portland, I imagine this true a lot of communities. We feel a real kinship i think to our local businesses and so i i i suspect that um people will uh the demand will rebound quickly that people really want to be back uh trying to get back to normal and socializing again and patronizing their favorite businesses and so i i hope so
1: i i hope so too i know personally uh i'm an introvert and so and I work from home anyway, so my life has not actually been affected that much,
0: <laughs> you
1: know, in one way. Uh,
0: yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you mean.
1: Yeah, and I don't mind – I'm not one of those people who feels like uh, – you know, I hear – I listen to the radio a lot now. And uh, <clears throat> you hear people say, you know, they're they're feeling very isolated and remote and they, they're dying for human companionship. And I don't experience any of that. However, uh, my – it turns out that I really, really, really like to go to restaurants and pubs, and I am—it's uh, like have, having lost a boom. Um, there, are, there, are, there are times, especially I'm, I'm working a huge amount of hours trying to finish my book, right. um, and I'm writing about beer, so I'm thinking about beer all day. And before this all hit, uh, one thing that I would do routinely is at the end of the day, I would go to the pubs. I'd be like this is my, <laughs> this is my reward. I made it through this day. I'm going right. to go get a beer. Yeah. And, um, now I can't do that. And I, I, it's just like, it's killing. me. So I, I hope that other people are in my situation and we all fled to the pubs after this is over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you and I are, are, are have similar temperaments in, yeah. uh, in that, in that way. But I also, I also very much enjoy getting out, getting out of the house, um, uh, exactly. And, and going to a pub and having a pint and and uh getting together um with close friends, I think. So um yeah. Hopefully hopefully this will this will pass quickly and um and we'll be able to get back to normalcy soon. But uh for now I think we all have to just hunker down and and survive as best we can.
1: Yeah, we have to do it, but um, let's talk. I got uh in my mind uh in my dreams, there are pub visits that I'm not doing <laughs> can't, can't wait to get back
0: <laughs> well hopefully hopefully soon well uh i uh I just wish the best to all the all the brewers out there, all the brewery owners, all the brewery employees, those have been laid off, and those are still finding something to do um uh, courage <laughs> in this time. Uh, hopefully we'll see each other soon and we'll be back to normal soon.
1: Oh, it's true. Hey, you know what? I do have one, uh, 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 I gotta put the computer in the right place. Uh, I have a, uh, uh, mailbag. You want to hear it?
0: Oh, yeah. Let's do a mailbag. Hey, we you got semblance of pod structure here?
1: Exactly. Uh, before we leave, so uh, we were talking about aging beer some time back.
0: Yes.
1: And I described uh, a, a characteristic flavor that happens with aging beer um, and in the literature. It's spelled R-I-B-E-S mm-hmm. uh, which I pronounce reebs. Uh, We got an email from Peter Weishample, Weishample, uh, who has a correction. So I'll read it now. It's pronounced ribes, as in the genus name for currants, which are sometimes called gooseberries. It's neither the only fruit called gooseberry nor the only fruit called currant, so it is really (laughs) helpful to use the scientific name. The pronunciation I provided is a way, uh, botanists say it in my experience. I would probably also have said Reebs had I not rubbed devils with botanists over the last 25 years. Thanks for the podcast and good luck. So
0: there we go. So that was that like blackcurrant taste you were talking about. Yeah. And it's
1: kind of like, uh, uh, when the, in the literature they're, they're, it's the catty flavor that the unpleasant oh, okay. catty flavor so, oh, oh. so it's yeah it's <laughs> it's well i know it's a weird thing it's it, it's often referred to as black currant but it, they, they mean kind of like this i don't know if that's a gooseberry or i don't i'm not really sure that's what it took me a, it took me a lot of years to figure out what the hell they were talking about because it was always it was always in the literature just pronounced you know it was like oh it's got a reeb's flavor and a what the hell are you talking about? It's got a reeb flavor. Well, it's pr- first of all, it's a Ribes. And, and second ribes. of all, it means ribes. Cat-
0: Yeah. All right. So if it's catty, <laughs> say Ribes, and you'll, and you'll know.
1: Yes. It's kind of that, uh, yeah, nasty thing.
0: <laughs> and you'll, you'll sound like a very smart beer person.
1: Yeah, apparently so. I don't know uh, if anybody else in the beer community uses that term, but, uh, but you'll see it in the literature anyway.
0: Right. All right, my friend. Well, uh, I think um, we should probably put this guy to bed.
1: Indeed. And let's hope the tech works so people can hear it. Uh, <laughs> well. See,
0: we'll find out to actually have a recording after all this. <laughs> if we can get that recording onto some kind of format that we can put onto SoundCloud and then get it out as a pod. Yeah. All to be discovered. But if you're hearing this, it means we figured it out. That's right, <laughs> old men. Old men in our in our living rooms, and we also don't know
1: uh, what's what's future will hold. Um, yeah, in, in our own experience, uh, two weeks ago, I was I was arranging, you know, I was scheduling an interview. We had uh, uh, we were going to talk to um, the Oregon uh, Brewing Archivist who down in your neck of the woods down at osu yeah uh and she was excited to be on the program uh and then all this happened so who knows uh what's going to happen we will try to podcast um over the next week few weeks and uh if we don't make it uh on a regular basis don't be surprised and that's all we know
0: yeah we'll just we'll we'll just do it figure it out day by day as everybody else
1: Yep, that's right. So we hope to see you again, uh, speak to you again. And if not, um, we'll speak to you sometime.
0: All right. Well, I'll raise my If this works, Jeff?
1: though, I think we'll, we'll probably will. We'll figure out how to do it again. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can do this. We got nothing better to do. Yeah,
1: that's true. It's <laughs> once I turn this damn book in, man, nothing but drinking beer and laying around.
0: All right. Cheers, Jeff.
1: Cheers, Patrick.
0: Here's my clink. There. <laughs>
1: I can't get a good tank, I guess. I'll do the same thing. There you go. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers.